Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I am Angela Brown, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche, and my guest for this episode is Diana Gleason. Diana is the Assistant Head of School for External Affairs at Perkiomen School. In this role, she's responsible for implementing an enrollment management model to generate net tuition revenue to run a financially sustainable school. Her office is transformed from separate individuals working on admissions tasks into a collaborative, creative team that demonstrates an entrepreneurial spirit and is empowered to have a voice in implementing new initiatives that support Perkyoman's strategic plan. In collaboration with the Director of Marketing and Communications, Diana uses analytics and data to develop an intentional, targeted marketing plan. She has always maintained a strong, visible presence in her school communities, advising students, cheering on student-athletes and artists, reading senior common application essays, and staying connected to both current students and alums. Diana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Angela. I'm really happy to be here. We are thrilled to have you. I think this is a great topic as we head into the 2022-23 school year. It's never too late to start talking about planning and people are always looking for ideas. I know that you're coming hot off of a retreat. So this is a very timely, timely topic. But before we dive in, I wanna start with our two questions that we ask every guest on the podcast. And the first is, what is something that you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? Great. So I've tried a lot of things that didn't work and I've learned a lot of things um, because I think trying new things allows you to learn things that are new, but also reinforces things that you already know. So I have like a couple examples in my head, but I would say one specific example was during COVID. I was looking to target new markets in three separate countries. And so I came up with this idea that we would have essentially an and a one year online and then the second year in person and we would create a rate lock and special pricing. And I was really excited. I'd done my research about the markets. I knew the price points and I was really trying to open these new markets. So Bernard, my director of marketing communications got my PDFs ready, but I didn't have a plan on how to distribute this information and I didn't have partners and I didn't have enough lead time. And so this really didn't work. Um, (laughs) So, and I think for me that reinforced that, you know, something I already knew. I already knew that this work is about relationships. It's about personalized attention. It's about partnerships. And so it was a good reminder for me that as we launch new initiatives, you know, who are our partners, who are people that we're connected to, um, to help implement what might be a great idea, but didn't really go anywhere beyond my desktop. Collaboration is key for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe the second example I'll give is, so actually most of my background is on the academic side of schools over the past 30 years. But in 2017, when I took on this new role, I was excited. I had a different lens. I came in kind of mid-enrollment season. And it, I was struck because I was fairly new to the area and new to Perkyoman School. And I constantly was in places, local places, where someone would say, Perkyoman School, where's that? 
And I'd say like, you know, half a mile away down the street. <laughs> and they would say, oh, I didn't know that was there. And so I was looking for these opportunities to create more brand awareness, to connect with local communities. And so we did a number of things. We, uh, we did Music Fest, we did St. Luke's Marathon. And then I decided we would do this food and beverage expo, which really, I didn't know was more of a beverage expo for people over to fun. <laughs> and it was very interesting, I'll just say. Um, and I think what I learned in those events was that they certainly for my team were, you know, we, we were spending time in places with people we didn't always meet. We often ran into alums or former parents and that was great and meaningful. But truthfully, those events, the piece they didn't have was they, they did not have the opportunity to collect data. Right. We, we weren't we weren't in a target targeted market. We weren't able to collect that data. And so that really has become the mantra I've tried to come back to, which is in enrollment management, I, all the initiatives I try to ask myself before we launch them. Are we going to gain you know, data from this? Does our data that we have suggest this is a good idea and really make those decisions based on kind of those two things? So. I think that's where the high value initiatives come from. Granted, those things were a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that because we're we're very data driven at Niche, and I know that we're going to get into that a little bit more later in our conversation. But I think coming from that place of asking the right questions at the outset and really thinking about what kind of data you're able to gather and how you can evaluate whether or not something is successful or effective, it's really important, but it gets missed a lot in our work. And I think part of that is because everyone's busy. You know, I was having a conversation with someone recently where I said, you know, whether someone has an English teacher that's also dabbling in marketing and admissions part-time or you're fortunate to have a large team, no one in schools feel like they have the resources that they need to do everything that they need to do, right? And so it's hard to stop and have that strategic discussion, but it leads to better outcomes at the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. So our next question is, what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? It's a really good question. And I, I'll admit, I struggled a little bit to to think about this. And I think the part that I came back to was that really before you can effectively brainstorm and bring new ideas, you have to create a team culture that is one where everybody has a voice, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was really important for me to get to know my team, learning their strengths, listening to them, and, you know, what we do is not earth shattering, right? We have regular <laughs> meetings with our team members. We share ideas. We really work hard to debrief events or initiatives pretty soon after they happen. And we use a format that is, you know, I didn't make it up. I like, I wish, I wonder. And we go around the room and everybody shares the things they liked from the event. Then they share in the same format, I wish, and then I wonder. And that way... You know, by going around the room, people can pass if they don't have a something to share, but but everybody has a voice. And I think that that, you know, creating that team culture of respect and and voice is important. And then creating a, a meeting or a session where you actually practice that is also really important. 
So my, you know, my hope is that people feel empowered because I think empowerment creates kind of energy in your team. And mm -hmm. it might be the smallest idea we had, for example, in one of our first sessions, uh, we have a, a great school store on campus and they're famous for their cookies. And one of my team members said, hey, when we're on tour, we should have a coupon for one of the cookies. And, you know, we started doing that and people love our cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's part of who we are. It's a joyful moment in the tour. And it's a, a very human moment with, you know, in a situation that sometimes is a little stressful for families. So, you know, kind of no idea is too small or too big. Um, and I think the more people, when they see some, an idea that they have come up with or that, you know, was launched by them when they see it in action and they see it working, it excites them to do more and, and try something else. And then again, you know, some of these ideas may seem simple, but we work on team goals and we celebrate when we meet those goals. And so sometimes that's with nachos. <laughs> Today we had lunch <laughs> together. But we also have this culture of responding to emails with support and joy. So we have emails that come out to our team when we enroll a student. And, you know, every person has their own personality on how they respond, right? I used to say, like, doing my happy dance, or, you know, somebody will, else will say, like, go team, or they'll, you know, pick a, a catchphrase from a show. And one of my team members one time just wrote one word, momentum. And actually that word momentum has become kind of a mantra in our office. And again, that came organically through the real genuine, authentic excitement about what we're doing. Wow. There's so much about what you just said that I love. I love the example with the cookies because I, I think there are two really great things about that. One is that it's such a great example that change can happen in large ways and small ways. And I think that sometimes in schools, we get really bogged down by the big stuff mm -hmm. and change can come about very slowly as a result of that. But not all changes need to be massive changes. And so having those opportunities where you can talk about small, quick wins that are, you know, customer centric, so to speak. Absolutely. Is really fantastic. And I also really like that you take time for celebration because I think that that's something that can be, again, really difficult to do when you're working in an advancement role, whether you're in fundraising or admissions or marketing communications, it's really hard to find that time and you can get so bogged down in the day-to-day -day and you know trying to hit your numbers or trying to get to the next event or trying to get your magazine to print. And it's really hard to take that time, but as leaders especially, it means a lot and it doesn't have to be a big deal. It could be through email. It could be with nachos. It could be with, you know, I, one time I got milkshakes for my team, you know, because it was, it was after commencement and that last couple of months, you know, running up to that big day and everybody kind of takes a little bit of a breather, but you've still got the annual fund and you've still got the summer magazine and you've still, you know, you've still, you've still, you've still. So I just surprised my team with milkshakes, you know, and that's all it takes. People just want to know that they're appreciated and they want to know that the work that they're doing matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're going to switch to planning. And this is one where I think folks need a lot of help. I see, I'm sure as you do, there are always those 
requests in professional forums and groups, does anybody have a plan for blank or a sample template for blank? And I think part of that stems from the fact that there's this misconception, you know, probably from when many of us went to college a hundred plus years ago, right? Where creating a capital M, capital P marketing plan meant you needed something that was 40 pages long and had a table of contents and was very daunting to create, you know, if that's still the paradigm that's floating around in your brain. But I think that for people who have been in that pattern over the last few years, we know that it doesn't necessarily need to be that daunting or complex. You know, complexity is somewhat of a necessity because you want thought to go into it, but it doesn't need to be this massive document. And so I would love for you to share what your approach has been to fall recruitment planning. When does it start? Who's involved? And most importantly, to go back to our earlier discussion, how do you set goals at the start of the admission cycle so that you can effectively evaluate that plan at the end of the year? Yeah, it's a it's a great question and a little bit daunting, just like that, you know, <laughs> just like that plan. And I think truthfully, you know, because I came into this role without an expertise in it, maybe I was less daunted and less tied to what maybe was traditional. And so I think for me, I felt like, gosh, we we don't have time to make a big, huge plan because in three months, then we would have to change it, right? It would be outdated by the time we, by the time we printed it, if we were still printing, right? So, (laughs) and I think the other piece about this, that's, you know, I love to think about, you know, at the start of the season, well, for us, the admission season is continuous and it's over. And I, I imagine that very few independent schools are full and managing wait lists. But when I dream about happy things, I dream about a wait list because then, <laughs> then I might have like a start of my season. So I would say first, I would say just logistically, I, I plan with my director of marketing and communications and I plan with my director of admissions. And we certainly collaborate, but they are two separate plans. And one is uh, one is a Word document and the other is a, a PowerPoint. And that's those are because those are the the formats that are most comfortable for those two people, and they seem to work very well. For admissions, the PowerPoint allows us to easily generate board of trustee slides, slides for Mm -hmm. my admissions team, slides for faculty and staff, because it really, you know, kind of encapsulates the things we have. And and then the second thing I'll say is these plans are, are living documents. We're continually adjusting and updating them. So, but when I really, you know, I was trying to think about like, I want to be helpful here. So really, when is the start? And I think, you know, our plan starts probably January before the September enrollment. And that has to do with numbers, right? It has to do with looking at uh, our retention of our current students. And truthfully, if I'm really honest, that retention of current students starts the day they arrive on campus. Mm -hmm. You know, that retention might be the most important thing you do in enrollment. And it involves everyone on campus. We like to say we're all admissions all the time. And during our faculty meetings, we are prepping faculty that this is an important part of of what they're doing is helping these students have a good start and that great, you know, traditional first impression. I can't remember the source I read last year, but I shared with my team that most decisions about returning for the next year are made in the first few weeks of school. 
So yeah. a decision they're not actually going to make until February or March is formed in September. So there's the retention side of things. We also have a retention committee uh, that the director of admissions and I both sit on. That's a weekly meeting that runs throughout the school year. That's made a tremendous difference. Our retention, I'm going to brag, was over 95% this year, uh, which is right. <laughs> and that is good for everybody, yes. right? And, and you can feel when you have retention in the 90s, you can feel the school pride, the school spirit, you know, the joy that, that really we want part of everybody's life. So I think some of the other like time places, right, November and December, as we get ready for our board of trustees to approve our budget, we're working on projecting in re-enrollment and then mapping out some preliminary numbers for the next school year. And that then we just continue to adjust that. And what I try to do with that is we use the data we have from the past and from the present to make the projections. And then every month we adjust it with real-time data to make sure that we are kind of still on track. And so that's where I think having, you know, a, a good data system where you can really look at things in real time, but also look at the past five years and then, you know, give some, remember that COVID happened during two of those years, so maybe <laughs> they weren't typical, but I think it does at least give you, you know, some things to really focus on. And, and I guess the last thing I'll just say is I think that Staying flexible and staying responsive to what's happening in the world is crucial. And so while your plan might have looked perfect in November, if February brings COVID, for yep. example, right, yep. then you have to change your plan. And maybe it's not change, but it's adjusting, you know, pivoting is like a big word now. <laughs> but I think that being flexible and and understanding and being responsive is really crucial. You know, the other thing that can happen is your school might all of a sudden launch a new program in March after contracts are already out. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that might be something that now you, you want to target and adjust to, and that wasn't in your plan for summer recruiting, but now it is. Yeah. And it's important, I think, to be flexible. And also it can be easy, I think, to get in our own way and in yeah. our own heads and to know that, you know, if somebody else has deemed whatever it is important, that it is important to the school. And so, and that's our job. Our job is to help share that message and support that. So um, we're very excited. We launched a new design institute that pairs with our entrepreneur institute, our medical science institute and our artificial intelligence. And, and really the design institute fills a, a gap that we had. We didn't have something that really addressed the arts, whether it's performing or fine arts or even things like architecture, you know, and now our design lab fits that. And so it's been exciting to talk with kids who want to be part of that. But it's essential as a school that as we launch a program like that, if we can attract students who are interested in that, we do that and we don't wait till the next cycle just because it wasn't part of the plan. Right. Right. I, I think you've touched on the overarching theme, which I, I think that depending on how long you've been working in schools and what your role is. So some people may have started to see this already, but there is a paradigm shift that's happening with the way that we think about planning 
you know, I think that we were used to the five-year strategic plan, right? We're used to the one-year admissions plan or enrollment marketing plan or communications plan. And what reality and the market have shown us is that there is a need to give ourselves more flexibility than that. And that's not to say that you should not be strategic and thoughtful about what you're doing, but recognizing that having an annual plan may not necessarily work. It may be a quarterly plan or you know, a monthly plan. It may be in some other level of frequency. And you know, our data has certainly shown what you said earlier, which is that the admission cycle is now ongoing. It's not from September to January anymore. It is, it's constant. It is a living, breathing thing. And so we have to approach our planning that way, but it also opens the door for us to lean on our data more because the data really can inform those decisions that you're making as you're iterating on your plans. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe if you, you plan to be flexible, then then that's part of it. It's a, it's a little bit of a mindset. And I think that flexibility during a plan is actually much more proactive than reactive. Because if mm-hmm. you're not if you're not making that adjustment for six months, now you're reacting to it. So that's kind of the way I try to frame it with my with my team, and you know, as we're thinking about things and going back to, you know, if we're making an adjustment, is it true to the mission of the school, and is it do we have some data to to support this change, yes. and, or are we going to gain additional data from this change? I think those are kind of the questions that I'm trying to check in. I am curious because you mentioned that the admissions plan was formatted in a in a in a deck that could be easily mm-hmm. shared for yeah. board presentations and and things mm-hmm. like that. Do both the admissions and marketing communications plans get presented to the board or other constituencies or is it one or the other? How does that typically work? I feel very lucky because my marketing and communications director and I, we are in lockstep, right? So we meet regularly. We're really working together and collaboratively all the time. And the same with my director of admissions. Again, I oversee both offices, but we also, the three of us, we meet every two weeks together. So we do present to our board of trustees. We do present to faculty and staff. And we really have taken, particularly with our board reports, to presenting together. So we have kind of an admission section and then a marketing typically wrap up at the end um, because they really are interlinked in it. And particularly now, I think we have, so our marketing and communications, we have layers in place that are ongoing and that creates this really, I think, tight fabric of a plan that is always continually supporting admissions. Mm-hmm. And it has also allowed my marketing director to then focus on her, you know, on other initiatives, because there are other things that come up in schools and there's other pieces of communications that aren't directly tied to admissions, but almost everything impacts admissions, I think. Yes, yes. So to answer your question, yes. We present together to the board of trustees and that's something that I really think makes a lot of sense and it reinforces to them the partnership we have with each other in the department. Mm -hmm. And for faculty and staff, I would say, it depends a little bit on the time of year and the context. So sometimes we do present in collaboration and sometimes we're presenting separately. So for example, 
our marketing director of communications will do like a brand awareness piece and, and help walk people through some of, you know, the do's and don'ts for mm-hmm. posting in social media or not manipulating the brand ever, right? <laughs> um, but, and she does a great job with that. Sometimes with faculty and staff that is pulled out separate from the new students we've enrolled and the overview of who they are and where they are and, and the strengths that they're bringing to us. But sometimes we also do kind of collaborate and tag team as well with that group. That's great. I mean, I, I think it's it's so important for people to not just hear about, but to see that partnership between admissions and marketing and communications. Because unfortunately, I think as the Marcom function has evolved, the perception of it hasn't necessarily caught up. And so where people understand what the admissions office does, they understand what the development office does, they don't always understand what the marketing communications office does or why it's needed and that that how it serves as this bridge between those other functions. It's not just the newsletter and the magazine and logo approvals. It's it's much bigger than that. And so being able to see that connection is just not only is it important in defining the role of the Marcom office, but it also elevates it so that people see it as a truly strategic function and not just the people who look at flyers and proofread things, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think for, in my team, having worked now really closely, prior to me coming in, the offices were essentially separate. And part mm-hmm. of my job was to, to bring them together. And just the awareness within the admissions team of what is being done and how much support is there, right? And how, you know, how much all those pieces really boost our admissions you know, in in general, I think that has been really valuable because the more people who really do understand it, I think the better the whole organization is. Absolutely. And the quality of the relationships too, that that collaboration becomes a lot less transactional when both sides have context. Yeah. And the awareness of, you know, with, I think in schools, it's a, it's a tricky thing because somehow, you know, marketing gets this rap of like, it's, you know, I don't know, you know, a bad word, like we're, we're not yeah. in the business of marketing, right? I'm in the business of changing lives. Well, of course, but we can't change those lives if they're not here. Right. So I think, you know, that you have to, you know, help faculty understand they're not selling something that's not authentic and they're not selling, right? But we do, but we do have this reality of having to get the word out and have people know who we are. And, and that's what brings those great mission appropriate kids to our school. And, So one of the things I do try to do each year throughout the year is two things. One, I try to tell stories about kids, you know, because faculty don't always know the whole story about a student. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the first term last year, I had a student who had all A's and was this vibrant force on campus. And so in a faculty meeting, I said, you know, I want you to know we almost didn't take this student because they had failed X number of classes. And we weren't sure. And we did all this work and we put, you know, pieces in place. And this is what a mission appropriate, when you have a match with a kid who's mission appropriate and a school who's as good as we are, and it matches, then you have this, you know, this student who has blossomed. And that's why you're all here. You're all here to change someone's life like that. And the trajectory for this student was drastically changed because, you know, they came to our school. So 
I think, you know, some of it is personalizing with faculty mm-hmm. because that is why they're here. And so you have to make, you have to connect with them on why they're here. They're here for the kids and that's why we're here. Well, and they're, they're kids who are choosing to be part of your community. Exactly. And that's a key differentiator in the market. You know, they're not there by default. They're there by choice. And you have to show up and reinforce and affirm that choice every single day. And that that's something that, to your point, puts everybody on the front lines for admission. You know, admission is not just recruitment and acquisition. It is retention. It's making sure that those students become happy and engaged alumni who give to your annual fund and come back to work there or coach or send their children there. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a long game, especially if you're in an environment that serves a wide range of age groups. You know, mm-hmm. for those PK-12 schools out there, it's the hope and dream, but it's a worthwhile hope and dream to get yeah. that pre-K student to cross the stage at the yeah. end of their senior year and continue to engage with your institution. And that's something that takes everybody, everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to come back to data because, of course, that's our love language at Niche. <laughs> so with us being extremely data-driven, and it sounds like you are all very data-driven at Perkium, and which I love to hear from schools because that's an area where I see a lot of opportunity for all of us to improve. So can you share a little bit more about the role that data plays in how you plan? I'll stop calling it fall recruitment because it's really <laughs> We'll just say student and family recruitment in general in these cyclical phases that we've talked about. Uh, but I think it actually makes it especially relevant because that data informs that iteration that's happening over the course of a year. Yeah, absolutely. So we do a couple of things. And I think um, one of them first is that you have to have good, clean accurate data. And yeah. so really, you know, one of the first initiatives, and, and I'll be honest, when I came into the office, there was a lot of good data and there was some cleanup. So mm-hmm. it was not like we had to start from scratch, which I was thrilled with. And that is the like first thing you have to do with that. And we really, I'm very happy about where we are in terms of our data. Um, we do we do some weekly reporting. We do a larger monthly report in admissions. And then certainly on the on the Marcom side, we're reviewing Google Analytics, our website traffic. We have a great partnership with a digital marketing company who does some of the analysis of analytics for us. And I would say I would encourage those small schools with small departments to make great partnerships because yes. it saves time, it saves money, and it is productive for your for your community. So, you know, those are some of the things that we are we are reviewing and I think you know, then it's it's continue it's also things like I'll, my director of admissions is my data guru and so, you know, I'll stick my head in her office and I'll say like my gut tells me this. And she knows that that's her cue to like go research it and see if she's got data to support my gut. And, you know, my gut's not 100 percent, but but that's good feedback. Right. Because when you feel something, if you then have data that says, yeah, absolutely, your, you know, your yield is increasing um, significantly. We've had strong yield. Then that's information you can use. Right. And vice versa. If you think it's really good and it's not, or it's, yep. or it's stagnant, 
then that's important too, because why do you think that if that's actually not supported by the data? And and it does mean too, you know, look at like we have a report we run monthly and it does give us like our inquiries and then our applicants and then our, you know, and then students who have enrolled. And so initially when I came in, our goal was to really increase our inquiry funnel. And if you looked at over the past five years, you would not think I've been successful with that because our funnel has not increased. Now, again, we had COVID in the middle, but what is significant is our conversion from inquiry to applicant has increased dramatically, mm-hmm. um, like, sub- like si- statistically significantly. <laughs> um, and so that, even though that's not like a line on your data that we have, that is something now that I'm tracking, right? Because in truth, then our applicant to enrolled is also significantly improved. And that number actually is a lot better than it was. So I think you have to be able to, you know, look at your data, but then also dig into it to really see what's, what's the, what's the story it's telling, what, what are the things that you can learn from it? And sometimes what you think you need to do isn't always the thing you need to do. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I do think you hit the nail on the head just now with the importance of looking at total funnel health Mm -hmm. and not just focusing on volume. Because I do think that sometimes we look at some of those surface level metrics, you know, things like impressions and not necessarily conversion rate or inquiries to your point and not necessarily looking at how those families are progressing from one stage to another. And so looking at both quality in addition to quantity tells a richer story about what is actually going on, but tools can also be a limitation. And so that's another area where we're actually in the middle of doing some analysis on a tech stack survey that we did in the spring to look at what tools people are using for everything from taking inquiries and applications to financial aid. And what I'm starting to see, which I I had a, my gut told me this, there's no shortage of options. And there are lots of schools that have a lot of different tools in place and a volume of data, but they don't know how to harness that data. The tools don't talk to each other. The development office is using one thing, but they didn't talk to anybody when they purchased the thing. So now admissions is purchasing another thing that may or may not work with the development thing. All of that is to say, you know, the, the data is absolutely fundamental. It's something that we always point to when we're talking to schools and, and to partners, but the tools are also important because if you don't have the right tools or the right partners, it's, it's hard to be able to pull those stories out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I think that is very true. And we are probably like many schools in that we have many different tools <laughs> um, and there's always a little bit of pressure. Like, don't you want to change to my tool? And I think no, because my yeah. data is clean. Yes. And, right. Yeah. I know it is, but it is, you know, I think in the world where, you know, you're always hoping like one company is going to merge with the other company so they will talk <laughs> to each other. It's hard to know how to get around that. And so I think, I guess for me, I've tried to try to look at the same kinds of metrics over a mm-hmm. number of years. And so, so for example, I created my own, basically, and part of my plan is, is that 
in terms of revenue, I have, we have different buckets of revenue and we had specific goals for each revenue bucket. And there were some, and the, there were some revenue buckets that had no cap. It would be better to go way over the targeted number, but there was kind of like a minimum number. And some buckets where you didn't want to go over the, the number, but there was room because, it, you know, in truth, financially, it has to be about access and has to be about, you know, a, a lot of pieces in, in allowing students who wouldn't have this opportunity otherwise. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that we feel is really an important component of it. But those buckets... I kind of made them up, right? Like I didn't have a tool to tell me what numbers to use. And now we're in our third year of using the buckets. And someone said, should we change these buckets? And I thought, if I were going to do it today, I'd make different buckets knowing what I know now from the data. I don't know that I want to change those numbers though, because then I won't be able to compare them to each other anymore. Right. So, so there is then, you know, so for example, so one of the things we've added to the buckets is not just the number of students but the actual average revenue that they're generating, right? And so then that gives us another metric to kind of look at. Yeah, I think that also raises a point about the importance of benchmarking against yourself Mm -hmm. because sometimes I will see questions that are looking for information that's really hard to get at a market, you know, at an industry level. And so if you're trying to dig into something like the cost of student acquisition or revenue per student or, you know, acquisition versus retention and in, in that sort of information, it really is a good idea to benchmark against yourself just as much, if not more, than you are at an industry level. Yeah. And, and I think it's easy then to create a, a goal or a target based on that, right? So for example, we had our day student revenue was, you know, X number, and we wanted to improve that. And every year we track the average revenue generated by our day students and our boarding students too. But we've been able to make significant changes just by paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Right. When it when it comes up, then when you're in a financial aid meeting and you're looking at a student and you're you have that in mind, having some of those things be intentional, I think, then keeps it on people's radar. And the result has been we have been able to improve those averages pretty significantly, you know, like to the tune of a half a million dollars for the school collectively. Wow. So and that is not that's nothing fancy. Right. Yeah. That is just looking at it, making it intentional, keeping it in mind when we're making awards. And it's been, it's had a significant impact. Wow. That's a great success story. So I want to close our conversation by coming back to the working relationship between marketing and communications and admissions, because it sounds like you've created quite a turnaround from these sort of separate distinct teams to two groups that are working very closely and very effectively together. And I know that that's a a constant source of tension. It's an ongoing talking point in the need for those two offices, especially to partner. So I would love for you to share more about what that partnership looks like, some of the steps that you might have taken to try to bring that to make that collaboration a little bit more organic and natural. And even where you think some of that tension might come from, just in your experience, especially coming from being more on the student side than on the academic <laughs> side and transitioning in, I think you might have a unique perspective on that. Yeah, I really felt like the 
I was like, ooh, I don't think like anybody. <laughs> I was like, I got a lot to learn. Yeah. So I, I mean, honestly, I do feel like I'm very lucky because there were some of the hard things that were done were done when I came over. So the head of school made the decision to make this structural change where the director of admissions and the director of marketing communications would, would essentially report to me as the assistant head of school for external affairs. I think that's equivalent to like enrollment manager, you know, director of enrollment, what, you know, every school has a different name for it, but, (laughs) but that, you know, I think that was a clear message to everybody that this was important, right? So I, I do think schools and heads of schools need to make decisions about, about the structure and creating a very clear structure that values that partnership so that it's not just relying on good people to kind of make this work. So I think that's the first thing I was able to step into a role where that structure was there. And then I think, you know, it has been about building a team and about understanding what each department needs and how they really work in synergy together. I I honestly can't imagine if I had tension with my marketing department because we get so much done because we collaborate. And there has been some growth and learning in the beginning. My director of marketing was definitely creating more of the content for us because we were new to it. And now it's really clear to my team that if we're going to send a letter or whatever we're going to do, that we're responsible for the content. Um, of course, my director of marketing will make sure that it, you know, it rings true for our brand. And it, if it needs, you know, a little tweaking, she does that. But those are things I think that that we've done. And, and that's been good because, again, it's empowered people and given people a role. And it's not just don't just let the director know you, you need a letter, but give her the content, give her the time frame. You might not get your first choice on time frame. Uh, you know, make sure it's two or three weeks in advance, right? Things can't turn around in 24 hours. Right? There are other <laughs> things that need to happen. I think that, you know, it's, I, I think it's a lot of the little things. And I think mm-hmm. it is, it is contact. It is, you know, making sure. And, and certainly in this world, I get busy. My directors get busy. It can be tempting to not meet, but we really always try to make those meetings because often we like all said, oh, do we have to meet today? And then we're in the meeting. We're like, oh my gosh, we have this thing that we need to plan, right? (laughs) And so you like, and and some of that was via Zoom. I like being in the room with each other, but Zoom also worked for that. But that that contact with each other and that check-in on like the calendar and what's coming up. And for myself, learning more about, how much lead time things need has been really important. So I think it's important to have that awareness and then also have, there are times where there's something that really needs to get out and, you know, and having a marketing department who is ready to support you at 10 o'clock at night, if you need it, (laughs) hopefully not too many nights in a row. But those are, you know, that's the, it is the nature of it, right? Because there are things I think that particularly in this, at this time and moment, they can't wait 24 hours. They can't wait 48 hours. And so, because then it's, it's too late, right? Uh, Everything's a little faster now. So having that strong relationship means if you have to make that ask once, it's different, you know, because you're typically not making that ask. 
That's perfect. I think that's actually a great place to to wrap up. I can hear all of my marketing and communications friends cheering as they hear what you said <laughs> about being conscious of timelines and owning your own content. I know those are battles that are being fought day in and day out at schools all, all across the land. I, I certainly understand that having been in those shoes myself. And so to hear from an assistant head of school who understands that and encourages that level of understanding, you know, it actually, it makes those 10 o'clock at night requests a lot easier when everything isn't urgent and everything doesn't need to be turned around within, you know. For, for my team, it, may, it gives them expertise. It makes them the experts and it empowers them. So it actually is, it's not just good for the marketing side, it's also very good for, for your team and your associates in admissions. And I think the more we can empower people and, and have them feel good and confident about those things, it makes the work, it spreads the workload throughout your team and, and you can play to people's strengths with that. But I think that that's the other really positive side of it as well. Yes. That's perfect. I love that. And I know that there will be some people who will probably want to reach out and pick your brain and ask more questions after they listen to this episode. So where can people find you online, Diana, if they want to get in touch? Oh, I would love that. So um, we'd love you to visit our school website, perkyoman.org. And certainly my email is uh, my first letter, D, and then Gleason, G-L-E-E-S-O-N, like happy gleeful, at <laughs> perkyoman.org. So I'd love to hear via email. I certainly, you can also, my phone number's on the website as well. I'm happy to communicate with anybody and, and work together. There's always more for me to learn as well. So those conversations would benefit me as well. I'd be happy to do that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. It's been a real pleasure. And I'll admit I was a little nervous, but it's so fun to talk with you. And it's been great to share some of the, the highlights here. But also, I also feel like I've learned a lot from, from you. And we really appreciate and have really valued our partnership um, with Meech as well.